0: Hello, welcome to the Churchology Podcast. We are back. After a few weeks off, we are diving in to a brand new series of interviews, brand new season. Excited to launch the Churchology Podcast back up again. And today we are talking to Ashley Hales. Ashley is releasing a brand new book called A Spacious Life, trading hustle and hurry for the goodness of limits. And so we talk about what are limits, how to lean into the limits that God has placed in our life and how limits are good for us and they lead to freedom. This is a conversation that I needed to have, I needed to hear, and hopefully you will be encouraged and challenged by it. Let's dive right into talking to Ashley Hales today on the Churchology Podcast. All right. Today on the show, we are excited to talk to Ashley Hales. Ashley, how are you today?
1: I'm good. How are you today?
0: Doing really good. Ashley, you are uh, releasing a brand new book called A Spacious Life, and I would love to hear a little bit about your story and what (laughs) led you to write the book.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of it happened maybe... 10 or 15 years ago when I became a mother and I I felt the limits of my body and the limits of my time. Um, Wendell Berry writes, you know, we live the given life and not the planned. And I really wanted to live my planned life. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this book, I, I really wish I would have been able to read and take in kind of 15 years ago. And yet, as I'm approaching middle age as well, I'm realizing, you know, we don't need necessarily more arguments about what the good life is, but we do need really good invitations. And so mm-hmm. I'm I'm hopeful that a spacious life is just a kind invitation. There's lots of folks who have read it already and said, it just felt like a breath of fresh air. Um, and that has felt like, that's what I, that's what I had desired is that a spacious life, we, we will find it in Jesus as we actually live within our normal God-given limits instead of trying to push past them. So a lot of it came out, I think, from realizing this is my younger self, what I, I would have liked to have heard. And maybe my, myself now too, I, I need the reminder that our limits are good.
0: Yeah. And okay. So so just so we, we know exactly what you're thinking. And so we're all on the same page. What mm-hmm. do you mean by limits?
1: Yeah, just good question. Um, I don't mean the sorts of limits that you know we have imposed globally to oppress and silence people. I don't mean you know the limits that um, you know that that are the result of sin, particularly. Although I know God can still work through them. But really, when I'm talking about limits in the context of a spacious life, I'm talking about our kind of our normal God-given limits. Things like. We are bodies in time, in places, amongst people, right? And that there, there are limits to how many friends we can have. There's limits to our the good we can do in the world. There are limits to how much work we can do in the world, given that we need to sleep about eight hours every night, um, that these are just some of these limits that unfortunately so much of our culture and even the church culture can really push past these limits and we try to ignore them or control them we try to stuff them away <laughs> or we try to like hurdle over them and you, really i think that as we lean into our limits as we bring them to god we'll actually begin to have this sense of internal spaciousness growing in our lives
0: yeah and so how does that happen how 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 are limits leaning into those limits Mm-hmm. How are they good for us?
1: Yeah. Well, it's so, it's so countercultural. I mean, everything right tells us that we need to be free, especially as Americans. And so we tend to think of freedom now, not as freedom for something, but freedom from something. And it's mainly, we think of it as, I need freedom to do whatever I want. And so I need, it's not like freedom from tyranny across the ocean, really. We think freedom looks like I can look inside myself, find out who I am, And everyone who says that that's wrong is against me. And therefore I need to like live my own truth. And really at the very best, that sort of narrative, what that does is it actually puts us on this kind of moving walkway that we can never get off where, you know, what makes me happy one day is not going to necessarily make me happy in five years. So if my marriage doesn't make me happy, then I can just get rid of it. Or, mm-hmm. um, I can step on whoever I need to at work so that I can get that corner office. And those sorts of narratives are so ingrained in our, into our psyches, um, that it's really hard to push past it. And yet the, the limits that are actually freeing for us, we can experience that. I mean, when we look to Jesus. So I walk through the life of Christ all throughout the book and say, look, here's a limit he had. He, we see him going off to pray, right? We see him choosing only 12 disciples. He heals some people, but not all people. He lives in one little, like small backwoods part um, of Palestine. Uh, There are so many things. He chooses to sleep. Um, He chooses to pray. He chooses to wait on God in the wilderness temptations instead of taking things for himself. There are so many different examples in the life of Christ that show us what a life of good limits looks like and that we can actually find freedom within those limits. It's just so countercultural.
0: It is countercultural. And so as I was reading your book, I know, and you talk about this in the book, but mm-hmm. how can I know if I'm at a place where I need to start leaning into some limits? Like what are some, mm-hmm. what are some signals that might happen, say, you know, in my mind, in my body, or, mm-hmm. or what are some things that might happen that are, that are mm-hmm. kind of inviting me to do that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it probably varies per person, but you know, if you, you realize, oh gosh, I'm just like snapping at my family or, um, I'm like subtweeting, you know, like, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, where I'm, you know, bothered by someone else and I have to like display it on the internet or, um, you know, even just finding yourself exhausted. There's so many people I know who you know, think that something's really wrong with them, that they have some sort of disease. And then the doctor's like, there's nothing wrong with you. You, you just need to actually like sleep and rest. And um, it's stress that is manifesting itself in, it, in our bodies. And so I think there's different ways in which we can start to notice that once we have pushed past our limits and maybe not even articulated what those are, that we will need to like take a step back and a reevaluation and maybe even just study the life of Christ and go, what sort of limits did he have? We see him sleep, we see him pray. Um, You know, he spent 30 years in obscurity. There's so many lessons that we can take to heart from from that.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, when we talk about, you know, spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms in our lives, because I was thinking about this as I was reading your book, yeah. Uh, hardly anybody talks about limits are a spiritual rhythm and discipline. Yeah. And you already said you, you know, you saw this in the life of Jesus. What are some other places or what are some other voices, maybe people that, that influenced your way of thinking when it comes to mm-hmm. this idea of, of, of limits?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's, so many great philosophers and Charles Taylor talking about, we, you know, we don't live in a transcendent universe any longer. It's, you know, the imminent frame is, is this idea that like, there's a ceiling, right. That we have no connection to things like mystery or transcendence or even the divine. And so when we live world, which is really our world, it's hard to even think that limits are good. Um, We can tend to then think that because there isn't anything higher Right. All I have is what I can gain, what I can get here. Um, and so when we don't feel like those limits are gonna actually get us anything, I think then we keep bypassing them because that's really, it feels like our only way to happiness. Um, I love David Brooks. He talks a lot in his most recent book, The Second Mountain, where he says, you know, in this first mountain of life, he talks about as this, um, you know, kind of the mountain of achievement. And then when we get there, though, we realize this isn't actually given to me all of these things that I said I want, It's not providing peace or contentment or happiness. And it's that second mountain where we are choosing to actually give up the those sorts of achievement goals um, into, you know, trying to pour into other people. Um, and it's really this, his own journey, right, has been into a life of faith, moving from Um, kind of a secular humanist viewpoint. And he talks about these, this life without limits, he says, particularly hard on young adults, because there's this idea that we have to continually curate and kind of create our own happiness. And that is just so much weight um, on any one individual is to say, like, I have to pick this perfect major and get this perfect job and marry this perfect person. And if I get anything wrong, then my life will be a failure. And yet, The life of Christ reminds us that our limits are actually, even if we have to walk through dark valleys, that they are things that can actually kind of provide a pathway through those dark valleys rather than like trying to spend our whole lives pushing down those those hardships or those darkness moments.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are some things that it might do to somebody? Maybe just to our bodies, to our souls, just do to us if we just refuse to live in limits. You know, my kids do five thousand different things a week, and I am always up. You know, I just I'm just going to refuse to do it. What might happen to us?
1: Yeah. Well, I think our bodies will revolt at some (laughs) point. I think for that pace. Um, But you know, I think what's what would also be really devastating is let's say you're you're saying okay, I'm gonna Go all into my kids' happiness, and so mm. they're going to have every opportunity. And then invariably, they will come back to you when they're 25 and tell you something you've done um, that has been horrible, for, you know, for them. And if we have spent our whole lives trying to m- whatever moving target of our children's happiness is, we will have nothing. To help us in that moment of when the kid comes back and say actually I just wanted your attention and not 800 extracurricular activities um because all we will have is defensiveness at that point because we said this is what I did so that you could have this perfect life and you don't appreciate it so it's your fault and so we are actually then ruining our our relationship with our children which was the whole point probably right in 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 give, trying to give them everything and yet if we have said. You know, these are the limits and the guardrails, like, sorry, you're not going to play soccer on Sunday because it's a Sabbath to the Lord. And we're going to spend time as a family and yeah, you might hate it, but it's, that's also then through the years, restoring our own soul. So that when the kid comes back and says, like, I hated that you didn't give me all of these things, you, you at least then say, I get that, but yet we are trying to train you in righteousness. Um, and to show you that there is something that matters more than your personal happiness or your success or these routes to so-called freedom that the culture will continue to throw at you as this is what the good life is. So that might yeah. be one thing.
0: Yeah. I, I just would not want people to miss the example that you use, you know, so when the culture would say, go all in on your culture, on your kids, rather, uh, the yeah. kids' happiness. That is yeah. exactly what the culture tells us to do.
1: It does. It and does. and so,
0: so this is... This is not a small tweak, is it? This is a revolutionary, I mean, it really is. You used the word invitation. I love that word. It really is Mm -hmm. a revolutionary invitation though Mm -hmm. to live in a new way. But do you think that maybe even some things in this season, I've heard so many people say, Mm -hmm. you know what I found, you know, this more time with my family has been good and, and that sort of thing. Even though the culture fights against this, there is something in us that longs
1: for it. Yeah. For sure. You know, there's been so many people have commented like that, you know, every, the kind of machine of success and productivity, whether that's with our kids or work is going to try to get us back to normal, you know, as quickly as possible. And I think it's just really wise to remember that as we've had this completely earth shattering um, upside down sort of sense of life in the last year and a half due to the pandemic, is that, you know, you don't have to follow <laughs> what your particular culture says is the good life. Um, you know, as Christians, uh, we have to choose that what God says is the good life is the good life. And even if it doesn't look like it, that we are still being invited into it. And that's what trust looks like, I think.
0: Yeah. You already kind of referenced it a little bit earlier, but but how, how much of the struggle that we might have with this uh, stems from, the definition that the culture gives us of what freedom is?
1: Oh, I think, yeah. I think that's really the, the heart of the problem um, is that we are living just amongst a generation and several generations where we have begun to think of freedom not as freedom from uh, maybe even tyranny, for instance, but you know, that we b- begin to think of freedom as our my autonomous choice at any moment in time. And so any limits we experience, whether that's, you know, we've committed to ourselves, to a spouse, or, you know, that we are parents, or, you know, we are volunteering in our local churches, or even, you know, the limits in our workplaces, we can feel them as constraints. And we tend to automatically think that anything that constrains us is therefore bad for us. Um, And yet, We all drive on freeways, right? And we see that there are guardrails and that there are lane lines. And if we had no sort of guardrails or lane lines, no constraints, there would be much more death and destruction and a lot more like bubbling anxiety. Like, am I going to get killed on this road? (laughs) And I think it's just wise to remember that constraints by themselves are not bad. It's what kind of constraints that we have um, that can lead us towards flourishing or not.
0: Yeah. I like the way that you put this in the book. I, I don't have it in front of me, but, uh, I was just really struck by the way that you put it, that limits are, are actually a path to freedom that it's not, yeah, you know, it's not, Oh, I, I'm going to give up all of these freedoms and I'm limiting myself, but they mm-hmm. are the pathway to freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you, could you
1: unpack that a little bit more? Sure. You know, um, so many things, you know, all the writerly books and things that I read talk about the importance of creativity flourishes and limits. So whether Mm -hmm. it's something like, you know, you need to sit down for 20 minutes and just free write, or, you know, you need to have a word count or a date on the calendar that you're trying to get something done. um, that it's actually in those limits that as you practice those limits, that creativity begins to actually show up in some ways. Um, I had a friend in, she said in her art class in college that her art professor said they could only use two complementary colors the entire semester. They couldn't use any other colors. And you feel that limit and it feels restrictive. And yet it allowed her and those students to actually produce a, something a lot more creative that had they not had that limit, it it wouldn't have allowed them to like go through the limit, right? It, they would have just been frustrated and picked up another color and yet it's as you walk through those limits that then you actually kind of grow into something more that you wouldn't have been able to have because of those limits
0: yeah so so you've been practicing limits living into limits for for a while is there one that you have found particularly challenging for you i
1: think um social media can be really hard um okay because the social media i think gives us this allure that we're not limited in our bodies or our communities that we can kind of be everywhere at once and i think social media can provide community but there's a sense in which often you know we're we're only gravitating to those people who are like us who vote the same as us who look like us and have similar experiences towards us so it doesn't actually help us necessarily to grow through difference. One thing I love about the, our local churches is that they are intended to be a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi socioeconomic um, community that through that very difference, through those limits that we're actually being formed into something altogether new. And so I think social media can sometimes be like the anti-church um, where we only gather in like groups and, and also, it gives us this allure that we're not limited. We don't have to have the hard conversation with a neighbor or someone at church or, um, you know, even our own selves because we can like pick up a phone and get distracted. And so, putting limits um, on my time on social media, I think, is really important too. Uh, and it's hard because, especially with the, you know, my book's coming out, and so I want to I want to share about it and talk to people about it. But you know, at the at the other since I realized that that is, this is something I've created and I hope it's a message that's encouraging to folks and yet nothing I do can really affect the outcome. It's a good reminder to put some limits on some of our consumption of media.
0: Yeah. And so you, you, so you talked about social media, you talk about social media in the book. So I would love to to dive in there. Um, so, so for the person that's watching, they just have no guardrails, no limits right. at all on social media. Uh, yeah. Why would you advise them? Hey, you might want to think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think, unfortunately, social media, right, the thing, how all the ag- algorithms work, of course, is so that we are, you know, it, it kind of forces polarization. And, you know, if we as Christians are supposed to be a light to the world and salty salts um, mm-hmm. that's supposed to bring out the flavor of goodness, not just in the church, but in the wider world and and, in various cultures, like we have to realize that social media is forming us. And I would just even say, okay, delete social media off your phone for the weekend, like just start there. Cause then you can't get it unless you're like sitting down a computer. And that takes at least a level of kind of thoughtfulness of why am I getting on there? Um, But that might be just an easy first place to start, delete it off your phone every weekend. Um, that's another kind of practice I have for Sabbath keeping as well is I'm not going to be on social media. I'm trying to not be on screens unless we're like looking, we're watching a movie or something as a family, because I know too much of that is going to get, make me angry and frustrated or make me feel envious or depressed or, you know, any other sort of feeling that we can get when we just unconsciously scroll so mm-hmm. I would just start there. Um, but then also, you can also look, if you have an iPhone, they have their weekly screen time. <laughs> and oh, you can yeah. go, oh my gosh, I've been on this many hours a day. <laughs> um, maybe that's not good. And you could change. You can also even just make your phone work for you and change your settings and say, you know, this is the time limit per app this is another great, great thing. Yeah. So then then at least you, you realize uh, the extent to which you are, going back to social media for comfort.
0: Hmm. I love the language that you put, how social media forms us. Mm-hmm. And so, so and, and maybe the way to answer this would be, you know, what does it do for you? But, but so if, if I begin to limit the way that I interact and get on social media, if I do a lot of what you just now said, Um, what are, what begin, what, what begins to get formed in me? And again, you Mm -hmm. might want to answer that for yourself as you limit yourself, say on, you know, no social media on Sabbath or these other things. Mm
1: -hmm. How Mm -hmm. does
0: God use that in your life? What do you find Mm -hmm. is being formed in you as you're away from social media? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, yesterday it was Labor Day when we're recording this and my family and I took It turned out to be a much longer hike than we anticipated because the parking (laughs) lot was like three miles from the trailhead. And so it was, I I think it was about 11 miles of hiking and which was excessive for all of us because we're not avid hikers. Um, and yet I realized like the only reason I had my phone was to count our miles Mm -hmm. and to, I know I took, I snapped a few photos during the day, um, and it, it made me, you know, help my child, right? Instead of distracting myself from maybe her pain and frustration, it was like, okay, we gotta actually be present. We gotta work through this. Um, and often I can use social media, you know, when I'm bored or I'm waiting in the line or, you know, that my children are erupting and it feels like a safe place to go to. And so to choose to kind of put it away we were able to kind of work through the pain. You know, she was, it was mile eight, my seven-year-old daughter. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, But we, you know, one, it was like, I tried to say, okay, every time you complain, let's try to think of something beautiful you see, you know, to kind of counteract it. That didn't seem to work eventually you know, another mile or so into it, she realizes she can say, I'm tired, but you know, I'm tired, Mm -hmm. but I'm having fun. I'm tired, but I'm going to make it. And it was such a great reminder that we hold together our pain, our sorrows and our joys, um, at the same time. And it was really only because we had a lot of time and we had a lot of time to work through that, um, that, we were able to really come to something that was beautiful. That was a lesson for me because about mile 10, I was ready to be done too. Um, (laughs) And we still another mile and a half go. So, you know, I think there is a patient unfolding of our lives with God. And we often will pick up social media and we bypass that slower transformative work that God wants to do in us.
0: Mm. Would that just be true with limits? in general, that, that we want, you know, growth, sanctification, we want everything God has for us, we just want everything now. Right. But limits are, this is, this is slow, I'm building the space here. Would that, would that be true for limits in general, that this is, this is a way that God will use this in your life?
1: I think so, because I think, you know, what's so beautiful about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is he, he, you know, he's asking his disciples to watch him pray. They're not, they're falling asleep. You know, he's so alone in that moment. And yet eventually through a lot of agony and prayer, he actually submits his own will to God, the father. And I think since the garden, we haven't really wanted ever to to Mm. submit our own wills to God and our limits force us to at least get to that place, to those wrestling places like Jesus was not, you know, because this is for the salvation of the world, mind you, but you know, that we will wrestle with God through our limits. And it's only as we go through those valleys that we will actually be changed and transformed. We just want like, you know, the pixie dust, I think a little bit of like this upwardly Western, you know, upwardly mobile Western life. Um, But unfortunately it seems to be, it's only through, you know, that, that, real change and transformation happens. So, yeah, I think that might be, a, that's a good way to think about most of our limits um, will allow us that longer space of transformation. If, if we let them and we don't run away from them.
0: Yeah. You know, in the book, you talk about busy habits. And so what are some examples of what a busy habit might be?
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, A lot of that, you know, it can be things like choosing to say yes to everything, um, you know, so that we're just like driving around a lot. It can be that we, you know, we don't find the ability to like sit still might be like, oh, I'm probably Mm -hmm. having some sort of busy habit going on here where, you know, they're always... Like I find this sometimes, right when I'm trying to sit down and it's a writing day, and it's like, oh well, suddenly I need to do the laundry <laughs> and oh, the yeah. kitchen needs scrubbing. Um, and we, you know, we tend to run away from the pain of just like sitting and being still and maybe failing. Um, and I think some of those busy habits, some of them look outward, like we're running around town to a hundred different activities, and some of them look inward, is that we we are distracting ourselves from silence or solitude or prayer um, that we realize that we're trying to be productive to earn our worth.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier is that churches can actually stop people from living in their limits. And so I would love for you to talk about. And maybe even church is a busy habit. You know, churches can help people. If you don't have a busy yeah. habit, church might give you one, you know. And so right, right. What, what are some ways that churches might actually go against or, you know, unintentionally uh, right. go against this?
1: I think it's really hard because in most churches, it's about 20% of the people who end up volunteering for most things, and no. 80% just kind of show up. Um and I, I don't want to say, uh, you know, as I was talking about the book with my community, we were a lot of people were saying, you know, I've said yes to too many things, um, but the things that they might be saying no to might be things that are actually good for them. <laughs> like, you know, I can't volunteer for Sunday school, I can't, you know, do set up, because, you know, it's, it's not fulfilling <laughs> to me personally, you know, in this moment in time, and I have done that too. And, you know, so I do want to just be careful in saying, um, churches need help. And sometimes the limits, um, that you're being invited into are not, you know, they are for actually for the good of other people. And they're not necessarily for you to have like this perfectly chill calendar. Um, and they're not necessarily for you to always be like in your wheelhouse of comfort or like, Mm -hmm. I'm really the best at this. So I don't want to say that, but I I will say that churches can tend to often prioritize the task over the person, especially um, yeah, you know, especially when there's a lots of tasks to be done and um they need a lot of help. And so I think really, as church leaders, as we're asking for volunteers, you know, for setup or tear down or the children's ministry, is to say is to really be saying you know how am i communicating that message how am i empowering those volunteers so that their own volunteering work is out of a place of deep spiritual being with jesus instead of just simply doing for jesus and so i think there's a way to both say yeah we do need you you know to to teach sunday school you know you know, several times, you know, our, our church plant that we're a part of now, they're, they're talking about, okay, you're going to have a certain time on and then a certain time off. And so we, mm-hmm. so that we're, and then we're also going to make sure that you as a spouse are not serving, you know, so that you and your spouse can like sit in church together. Um, and so I think these are important sort of guardrails that even churches can do to say, Yes, we need you to extend yourself for the good of the body because that's how we're being formed into the bread of Christ. But also, we realize you're tired, you're exhausted, and we're not going to work you and keep you just busy. You know, that we believe that whatever volunteer role that you're doing, that you're actually being formed into the likeness of Christ. And we're going to help support that, you know, by, you know, feeding you dinner, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, once a month or having a round table where you're able to just express your tiredness or confusion, um, so that we're loving the person instead of simply inviting them into more busy tasks.
0: Yeah. And so you just now mentioned that you are a part of a church plant. Is, Mm -hmm. Is the church plant you're a part of, are they trying to intentionally build this into not just the way that they operate, but even into the People that that are there in the church plant.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's well, that's, that's kind of like... how that's kind of how my husband got hired. I think is <laughs> you know the the church planter who planted about five or six years ago. Just you know, there's so much only one person right can do, and so mm. my husband, with a background in church planting and having done that, deeply understood <laughs> that that challenge, and so his job really is to help towards like spiritual formation for the entire church um, rather than just here's hmm. yeah you know coordinating um, all of the tasks and so how do we pour into the leaders how do we pour into the Sunday school teachers is really what we are yeah trying to do so that it isn't simply we only want you if you can give something to us yeah which you know- can just feel like
0: Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. What yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I've said,
1: even if that's not what it's intended from the leadership, you know, in any, any sort of system, it can feel like that if you're not consciously able to spend time with people, meeting them yeah. where they're at. Yeah.
0: You know, Ashley, there are uh, several people who watch and listen, uh, a good portion of the audience there. They are leaders in churches, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, of different sizes or just leaders in general, people with influence. Yeah. And obviously the temptation of leaders is to burn the candle at both ends. Let's not stop. Sure. Like you said, if it's going to happen, mm-hmm. it's up to me. Why, what's a word that you might have for leaders mm. about why this, this is something especially that important for them. They need to pay mm. attention to this.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, eventually you will burn out <laughs> mm. and um, you will be betrayed and you will not be appreciated. And if your foundation in any way is really resting on your productivity or results or things you can measure, um, when those things happen, it will drive you to push people away, um, to feel like a victim and you will not be loving Jesus or loving your neighbor. And ultimately I think those of us who get into church ministry, we are so, Compelled by Jesus' message to love God and love our neighbor. And yet we find ourselves feeling like the people we are serving are really kind of out to get us, or they're just being lazy or or whatever. We won't be actually drawn into Jesus' suffering and find that He is enough if we are burning the candle at both ends. Because eventually, (laughs) because God cares for us and loves us, He will bring us to those places. And eventually they can, those places can either draw us deeper into intimacy with God and a sense that, yeah, I'm doing this work and yet it doesn't define me. And so there's a lightness there and ability to love others, or it will cause you to be bitter and resentful and you will not be showing the fruits of the spirit. But I think, you know, as we do these small little things, like, you know, we put limits around you know, how much work we're doing and sleep. And we are choosing to go off and pray and be in silence and solitude. Like Jesus was, as we pay attention uh, to one person at a time and, you know, be in our actual bodies and our actual neighborhoods, I think we'll begin to kind of get breadcrumbs towards that spacious life. So that when those dark valleys come, we are drawn deeper into, into intimacy with Jesus. So we can say like, Paul, like I've learned the secret of being content that even if someone is betraying me or slandering me that Jesus is enough and I think that's really what we want
0: hmm. yeah you know just listening to you talk so many of the stories that come out about ministry leaders who have fallen you know and churches mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know have you mm-hmm. know one time national yeah. platform fell yeah. yeah somewhere in that story is a leader without a limit
1: yeah yeah 100%. Right. would
0: you would you agree with that what are you what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on that 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 just that yeah. this issue alone that you're talking about right could literally have prevented so yeah. many of the horror stories that we see
1: yeah and that's so sad <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just you know it's so disheartening to um yeah that they're to, uh, to some extent that they're the the way success was thought about was really thought about in worldly standards. Um, so that we, cause this is just a, such an American thing that we believe that God is good to the extent that my circumstances are good.
0: Oh, wow. And what
1: does it look like when our circumstances are bad? Do we think that God hates us? Um, and so we have so imbibed that in the church that what must be good is, you know, unlimited growth or, yeah. you know, um, there's so many different ways in which that, that looks, um, but Jesus's life, right. Looked like a long journey towards the cross. We don't think of our work in the church or the world as participating in the work that God's already doing and being, and being able to pull back, accept the limits of our of our moment um, and wait for God to act. Instead, we like, yes, let's forge, forge away. And I think you're exactly right. So many fallen leaders are because they didn't understand their limits um, or didn't see them as good for mm-hmm. sure.
0: Yeah. And so A- Ashley, just one more question. And I yeah. know that there, and I know that even in that vein, you know, with Think about church leaders, but not just church leaders. Just anybody that that is watching mm-hmm. this, anybody that's mm-hmm. listening to this, and they hear what you're saying, and they they know that they've got to start doing this. Yeah, but they do not know where to start. What would you say to that person?
1: You know, one thing. Um, one thing I would do is one thing I like enjoying and uh, encouraging people to do is to to keep. Both like a delight list on one hand, and maybe like a a, a limit list on mm-hmm. the other hand, yeah. um, because I think often we tend to think of our limits as just constraining and restrictive, and and that they don't actually lead to flourishing. So even like making a list between those two and say, okay, yes, here are the limits of my body, you know, here is the limits of my time in this season, here are my financial limits. Um, And then to also say either that delight list is something to return to. And when you're practicing rest, you can say, okay, pick something from the delight list. Um, But it also helps you to see, okay, maybe some of my financial limits, you know, I'm just feeling like, oh gosh, we just need more money. So my kid can play club soccer. Um, You know, we're realizing that some of the delight list might be spending time playing board games, which is basically free. Um, And so I think it helps us just kind of reevaluate sometimes of our limits as good. So that would be one just little quick way to start. Um, I also have on my website a list of kind of, I call them pocket practices. And they're like these little, I actually have them here, like three by five cards um, that are available for folk.
0: Hey, Ashley, this has been so good. Tell us some ways that uh, people can connect with you online.
1: So the easiest way to get in touch is if you go to my website at aspacious.life, there's a few things you can do there. You can take a hustle habit quiz, which is really fun, and you can get a roadmap to kind of whatever your hustle habit is with some good questions and some practical steps forward. You can pre-order the book there, and then you can also get those pocket practices. So that's aspacious.life.
0: Hey, podcasts are great to listen to. I mean, obviously, I'm into podcasts. I host one. And podcasts are great. uh, But let's press through just listening to podcasts and taking in content. What did God say to you today? And what are you going to do as a result of it? What are some limits that you need to lean into, not try to avoid and and push off, but what are some limits that God might be inviting you into uh, to lean into today uh, to experience freedom and uh, to experience His goodness and so Ashley's brand new book is called A Spacious Life make sure to check out the show notes in the show notes we've got links to where you can pick the book where uh, you can connect with Ashley on social media as well as visit her website, she's got some amazing resources at her website all of that again is in the show notes, check it out Hey, if you enjoy the Churchology podcast, I want to encourage you to take a second, leave a one-sentence review, give us that five-star rating. Um, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us, um, leave us a rating. And make sure to hit the subscribe button. Every Tuesday, brand new episodes of the Churchology podcast release wherever you're listening to this podcast today. Next week, we're talking to Rory Nolan Rory released a brand new book called *Transforming Worship: Planning and Leading Sunday Services as If Spiritual Formation Mattered*. And this conversation was so eye-opening and challenging to reconsider how we view our Sunday morning services gatherings with the goal of spiritual formation for God's people. And so I. Can't wait for you to hear it. It comes out next Tuesday. Hey, you can also watch our interviews. We release every interview also on our YouTube channel. I would love to hear from you. Where are you listening from? What are you thinking about this episode? Who would you like to hear interviewed on the Churchology podcast? What are some topics that you would like for us to dive into? We've got some great interviews coming up. Excited to be back. Thanks for listening to the Churchology podcast. Thank yeah. you.